Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three three. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right, what's going on? Welcome to Cannell and Bell. Hanging out with Raja Bell. I'm Danny Cannell. Big day today. A lot of stuff to react to. We have a brand new national champion in the University of Virginia who had a big win in overtime versus Texas Tech. We're going to break all that down. We have a new record in Major League Baseball Uh that no one ever wants Uh. to break. It's one of those unfortunate records. We'll do a little bit on the Masters uh, to finish off the show. We're going to have James Herbert's going to join us, uh, help us break down the end of Dirk Nowitzki's career. Kind of some good stories from him. He's got great stories on Dirk. And uh, Dwayne Wade playing his last game uh, in uh, Miami for the Heat, most likely, uh, with two games left on the season. But last night, the game was a thriller. It was awesome. Like college basketball, the first weekend of the NCAA tournament was kind of a dud. You had a lot of blowouts. Second weekend got better and then really delivered in the final four. You had some fantastic finishes, including last night when it finished in overtime. You had a back-and-forth game. Everybody was predicting a low-scoring, ugly affair. Yeah. It was anything but. They were trading blow for blows. You had some big threes in the game at various times. You had a little bit of controversy, which we've had throughout, with a questionable replay review that was shown a, a zillion times. But it really was a story of redemption for Virginia after getting knocked out. Uh, Tony Bennett, uh, Kyle Guy, a lot of the players talked about how much it meant to them, what a driving force it was all season long. And it's hard not to feel good for a team to come back from that and finish it off with a national championship. Absolutely. Not your traditional Cinderella story, but, man, a story in and of itself with you being the, no- the first number one seed to lose to a 16. And then they come out this year – and they're down 14 as a number one seed to a 16 seed again, down six at half in the first round of the tournament. Um, and just about every step of the way, there was some, you know, there were some hurdles for this team to overcome. They didn't have it easy the whole tournament. The, the shot, uh, by Diakiti, uh, is that his name against yep. Purdue? They could have lost that one. You know, it's been touch and go here. The Auburn situation, even last night, uh, down to, down to the end of the game, but defense wins championships. Tony Bennett's team has been one of the top defensive teams in the country for the last five or six years. They haven't been able to pair that with an adequate offense. This year was their best offense from a production standpoint. Um, and once he got that formula together, you see what, what, what that can do. But fantastic story for Virginia and the players on that team. And, and Tony Bennett, who comes from a, 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 a coaching family. Yep. Uh, and, and you definitely want to see, you know, cause he's a fantastic coach. You don't, you don't want to see it, his legacy be the, the only guy who loses to a 16 seed. You know what Right, I mean? right. And he definitely now with that, uh, national championship will have cemented his name and some of the greatest out there. It's funny because you mentioned their style of play. It was ridiculed a lot the last several years saying, well, it's ugly to watch. It's defensive minded. Not, not a lot of one and duns, not a lot of NBA guys. Right. And it was always like, well, it's a cool story in the regular season in the ACC, but they'll never be able to compete for a national championship playing that style of basketball. So they've taken some criticism for it and they've proven, hey, there is more to just having superstars on your roster. It is a team sport. And I love the fact that you had different guys delivering at different moments for this team. Role players, good basketball players. But they're still, I don't know if there's anybody that's going to be fan, like I don't think Kyle Guy is going to be a household name in the NBA mm-hmm. any day by any stretch, but he came up in big moments for them. Yeah. As, you know, as DeAndre Hunter came up in a big, now he might be a different story in the NBA, but came up with the monster three, uh, there to tie the game to force overtime. Yeah. I think that first of all, DeAndre Hunter is going to be a really good NBA player. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there are a lot of names that come to mind. You know, the top end, you would say Kawhi. I mean, he's he's at six eight. He's got a seven four wingspan. You saw him give Jarrett Culver fits last night. He, he just couldn't get a shot off. Couldn't figure out how to shake the guy. Um, you know, different different end of the spectrum. Um, somewhere in the middle there, I'm thinking like George Lynch type of player. Big physical defensive body can score the ball. Um, you know that it was a very very solid NBA player for a long time. I'm with you kind of on the Kyle guy. I think there may be a place for him, but don't expect him to be you know a great NBA player. What I think that what I think happened with Tony Bennett's offense was he realized he had to take take some of the script away. Like there's a place for scripted basketball, um, and they play 90% scripted basketball. Ty Jerome changes that a little bit. Their point guard, who was you know, he, I could have made a case for him also being the MLP in the tournament. Yep. I have no problem with them giving it to Kyle Guy. He has this ability to go off script and kind of you know create. They didn't really have that in Virginia. So you had to script your offense if you don't have this creative guy that can go ahead and get you and other people buckets. And and they've got that in Ty Jerome. He probes with the ball kind of a la James Harden. You know, he's kind of off balance with his movements, just a little offbeat. He, before you know it, he's in the middle of the paint, and now he's kicking it out and facilitating offense for guys. When you couple that with the good scripted offense you've got, now you're a little bit more explosive. Right, and I think that's the adaptation that made Tony Bennett successful. It's why he's considered a great coach, and he should be, uh, because he, you're not stubborn. It's not my way or the right. highway. You evolve as you watch what's going on around you. I have a question for you. DeAndre Hunter, for a team that's lived by defense as well in Texas Tech, mm -hmm. the three he hit... He was wide open. I mean, he had like time to spin the ball, get the laces, like set his yeah. kind of look at it. <laughs> Those are hard shots. Exactly. Those Sometimes are they are. You're like, I'm so wide open. This shot is to, to keep us in the game. I have to make this. Um, but it was interesting to see that a team that's so defensively sound all crashed when he drove the lane. He was able to kick it out and just sitting there with no one closing out on him. Yeah, I mean, look when you when you get a game when you have two teams that are as evenly matched as those two are. Sometimes it's the team that makes one less mistake, you know. And Virginia made one less mistake last night than than um than Texas Tech did. Un unfortunate uh for whoever the kid was because it's it usually falls on one guy who right. just made the wrong read on that. Right, like that sucks when you got to sit and film and know in your heart of hearts you you were the guy that get that. They pulled the wrong trigger on that. Um, but it was it Jared Culver. Yeah, that's tough. He did not play well. So what uh, brings me to another subject. DeAndre Hunter going into the season very high on a lot of people's draft boards because of these physical tools that you can see. I didn't follow his whole regular season, but in the tournament, I think he underwhelmed to a degree. Mm -hmm. You know, I was starting to worry about, you know, where does he go? And, and uh, full disclosure, he's a really good personal friend of, of my cousin, uh, Chucky, who plays for Loyola, Maryland. Uh, um, you know, they played high school together and all that. So I'd pull for him. He, his stock just took a huge bump last night. He needed a game it, like he that. He needed a game like that. And yeah, it, it's one game, but he gave you everything you needed to just shut it down and check the box. Like, okay, he can score, he can score the way we think he can score. Defensively, you never really worried about him. Jarrett Culver's stock dropped. He's going to have to do a lot. Uh, he'll still be drafted. They're, they're not, they're not out on him, but in terms of him being a hot name, you know, he's going to have to rehab that just a little bit in the process pre-draft. According to our CBS Sports Prospect Rankings, DeAndre Hunter, the fifth best prospect, uh, Jared Culver, the seventh best prospect of these classes. It, it, it would give me pause, not to interrupt you, but it, it, watching Jared Culver struggle to get his offensive game going against a, a peer would give me pause. He didn't play well the whole tournament, and last night it really looked like, you know, he was the lesser of the two athletes. He just couldn't figure out how to get quality good looks and make them against DeAndre. I am done with replay. Yeah. I've never been a huge fan of replay. I would rather have all replay removed 
then the way we do it now, especially in college basketball, even the end of regulation, before you had the controversial call in overtime, right. the end of regulation took forever because they're looking at every ball. There's a couple balls that go out of bounds. They're going to review it 50 times. They're going to look at it in super slow-mo. And then, of course, you had the uh, the call in overtime where, you know, Tech was leading 75-73. Ball goes out of bounds. Uh, whistled out on Virginia. Then it was re- uh, switched it to out on Texas Tech. And it was the pinky. Uh, like, if you I watched it. I thought that it, was a terrible call. I, and, uh, but, again, that's why I don't love reviews because – there's still going to be circumstances where you just can't tell and people are going to disagree and it's not definitive. Look, yeah. You just wasted five minutes of our, everybody's time at the most crucial point of the game. You went to replay and you still got it wrong, in my opinion. Right. I, I, you Which know, happens all the time. It, I, that's one of those things I really feel like you have to, you got to use your better judgment if you're a referee. That guy's coming down with the ball in control. DeAndre Hunter reaches across his body and the ball goes in a complete different direction out of bounds. It's off of DeAndre Hunter. Unless that guy makes another effort to go grab it and then hits it out of bounds, yeah, 90% of the balls that you call out of bounds technically might touch my pinky last, but it's the other hand that, that knocks it out it of out. bounds. Right. I really feel like they got that one wrong. But it's a technicality of it is It is supposed to be the last person that it touched, no matter how much of a body part uh, Yeah, I know, touches, but they you know? get that wrong. All, then you're getting it wrong 90% of the time, I guess is right, what I'm saying. Right, right. See, I'm a, I am okay, and I actually really love the way Bruce Pearl handled everything uh, throughout after the game, had some calls go against him that were mm-hmm. very, you know, pretty blatantly obvious that they were against him. And he said, you know what? I'm okay with the human error. Right. You know, and you have to live with that. And that's where I feel like most players and most coaches who actually played are okay with it because they realize, you know what? We're all humans. I'm going to miss big shots. I'm going to throw an interception. And the officials are going to miss a call every once in a while. Right. And it's okay. It's part of sports. And there's too much perfection. We have to get every call perfect. And even though we're striving for that, it's making the game worse. And we still can't get a, a perfection even with replay. Yeah, there's no there's no definitive, right, in right. most of these cases. And what really bothers me about it is the extra – the extra advantage that is gained by the team that may not have the timeout or the team that's going to have the ball offensively. Um, and you get to sit over there on the sideline while they're doing this replay and, and have this free timeout where you're scripting up, really getting to walk through a regular timeout's what? I don't know, a minute? Yeah. I don't know, 90 seconds, yeah. whatever it is. Some, in some of these cases, it, all right. So in that 90 seconds, good coaches can clearly express what they want to do. Yep. They can, they can articulate it. They can make sure you digest it, but it's not always that easy. Sometimes you're fumbling over your words. You're not able to get what you want out. There's some uncertainty when you go out there on the court, you got a replay that takes seven minutes. Anybody is going to be able to fully explain to you what we're doing with this next possession. I, I believe that to be an advantage for the offense. Absolutely. It's an advantage for sure. 100%. When you look at the conversation kind of that's developed after this game, when a team like Virginia wins, who has a lot of upperclassmen, mm-hmm. they do have some NBA talent, but not the slew of one and dones. There's this, and when Duke gets eliminated, it's up oh, that one and dones don't work. This is the way you have to do it. I cannot disagree more with that. I think it speaks to there's more ways to get it done. Sure. There's a lot of ways to create successful teams. Are we are we quickly forgetting about Duke beating Wisconsin, who was a veteran laden team with some NBA talent, but sure. Duke had the one and dones on that squad and they won the championship. Yep. There's just it's the NCAA tournament. Things can happen. You get hot at the right time. It all culminates. And, you know, it's like, all right, there's different ways to win. And yeah. Everybody has their own styles. Everybody has their own formulas. They all can be successful. In that one-and-done tournament scenario, anything can happen. Yep. Um, I, I do think that, there, you know, the case needs to be made for for having a good mix of kids on your roster. Yep. You, you want that one and done talent. There's a reason he's one and done. You that that you pair that with with a good veteran, uh, you know, a couple good vets and then, you know, a mid-classman like now you've got, you know, a perfect world. I know we're not always living in the perfect world, but I want to touch on 
the kid, Ty Jerome. He's really interesting to me because when I watch him play, you know, and I had my son with me last night for the first half of the game, which brings me to a whole nother, like that game was really, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a late, time. I didn't even get to watch one shining moment. I was, you know, I was knocked out, but, um, when I watch him play, I'm, I'm left wondering what he should do. I know he's got another year and physically he doesn't look like he is dropping ready to play in the NBA. It looks like he struggles to move laterally, not your high end athlete. But mentally, he plays the heck out of that point guard position. And I really do think he's the engine that kind of makes that Virginia team run. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you strike while the iron is hot? You know, I was left wondering this about him. Do you strike while the iron is hot? You are a national champion. It depends on how hot the iron is. Right. You know, like when Grayson Allen, after that year when they won the championship and he was a freshman, I thought he could have left and been a lottery pick. Right. Because he had kind of that – it was – the potential's there. The sky's the limit. Uh, he had just had a perf- uh, an incredible performance in the tournament. He chose to come back. What happens? Kind of falls as his career. The potential you get kind of exposed some of your weaknesses yeah. as to hey, we can develop this guy. So I, it depends on how hot the iron well, is. You know it, what I mean? Co- correct. But it's going to get interesting because you're going to lose DeAndre Hunter, which which is a big part of what you did. You're not. He's not changing that offense. That offense is going to be what it is. People are going to kind of have the book on you. you it, he's only interested in me because I know he's not ready. I know that physically he could use the year to get bigger, stronger, and faster. Uh, but if you can't reproduce what you did this year, then you probably shouldn't come back. Right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So it's, a, it's an interesting situation. Uh, our boy Debo, our resident, you know, everything Philly uh, yeah. ad- advisor, Dante DiVincenzo, last season left after winning uh, MOP, had two years of el- eligibility left, was picked 17th. Yeah. Probably a smart move for him. Or Kyle Guy. Strike yeah. while it's mm-hmm. hot. Uh, so it could be a, a similar type situation there uh, when you look at it. So congrats to Virginia, uh, Tony Tony Bennett. Every, it's been really cool to watch this tournament. Like I always – like there's such – Good kids in the tournament, good coaches, good people. It's been a lot of fun to watch, especially when basketball has had all this cloud swirling around it with FBI and shoe deals and all this. It's fun to actually see a really good game that I thought college basketball fans deserved. Absolutely. I got to go to a top 100 NBA coaching program, and it was at the University of Virginia. Tony Bennett was the lecturer, and and we spent a night with him, and he – you know, philosophically took us through the way he approaches things. There's not a better human being out there in the coaching world than, than Tony Bennett. So, yeah. I mean, I got to meet his dad when he came and worked with the sons a little bit because he was a Terry Porter me- mentor. Um, so great people and nobody deserves it more than him and his, and his dad. Yeah. Really cool. Happy for him. Uh, basketball family for sure. Odds to win next year's tournament. Kentucky, the favorite seven mm. to one, Virginia seven to one, Duke eight to one. Michigan State eight to one and Michigan twelve to one. So usually uh the usual suspects most likely back in the same situation uh next year. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell. So we are seeing, I think, some end of eras of mm-hmm. a couple guys' careers. You Dwayne think? Wade yeah. has made it official, right? He's a, yes, he's, he's official. Doing his farewell tour, right. although Jersey the, way swaps. the way he's playing, you wonder like maybe he has a change of heart, but I think he's done. Right. Uh who knows what uh the rest of his, you know, life career. He's got a bunch of stuff on the back burner that mm-hmm. I'm sure he can go into uh in his uh, different endeavors. Dirk Nowitzki, on the other hand, Hasn't made it official, and yet teams are like shutting down stadiums when he was LA playing against the Clippers, yeah. Doc Rivers. They shut down the game because so they're basically sending him off. I don't know if he's necessarily <laughs> they're like done kicking that, him though. out, or they like hey, <laughs> keep exactly. it moving. Uh, but I think Dirk can do whatever he wants. Clearly, uh, let's bring in our guy James Herbert, who has an article coming up on uh, CBSSports.com today 
on Dirk and a lot of uh, really fascinating stories. You can follow uh, our boy James on Twitter at Outside the NBA. Of course, you can catch him here. Covers NBA for CBS Sports. So, James, let's start it off with Dirk because you did this deep dive on his career and you have some fascinating stories uh, from his time in Dallas. Obviously, anytime somebody plays 21 years in the NBA, you're going to have a lot of stuff to get to. But what was what was one of your favorite anecdotes from Dirk's career? Yeah, it's, it's mostly the off-the-court stuff with him, honestly. We know how great of a player he is, but it's it was fun for me to hear his teammates talk about what a goofball he is also. I mean, I started the story with this anecdote from earlier this season, actually, where he and Dennis Smith Jr., one of the fastest, most, most athletic guys in the league, actually had a race before practice. But Dirk started at half court. Dennis, of course, started at the baseline. <laughs> and when they did the 3-2-1 and they were about to go, Dirk just walked off and said, oh, I'm not ready yet. Let's just get to practice. There was stuff like that from throughout his career. I mean, Nick Van Exel told me uh, many years ago the first road trip he did uh, when he got to the Mavericks, Dirk called him uh, in his hotel room and left a, a voicemail for him where it was just him singing a song and playing guitar. And Nick was like, what, what is this guy doing? I guess this is him welcoming me to the team. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Dirk is a, he is a character. And I, look, I don't know how much you've been around the team this year, but I'm kind of fascinated to know, like, I want to know how much he actually does on a day. What does Dirk's practice day look like these days? Is he kind of chilling out? Is he more of an assistant coach in practice, or is he actually out there working with the guys? He's working with the guys. I mean, th this has been an extremely tough season uh, for Dirk. He, he worked his way back from ankle surgery last summer, really uh, had a great summer, and then right before the season had this setback that kept him out, uh, delayed his start to the season, really uh, sort of canceled all of the work that he did in the summer, made it irrelevant. He's been working his way back. He's been playing while not at 100%. Uh, J.J. Rea told me after uh, a game in Brooklyn where Dirk missed his first seven shots uh, – that it's just hard to see him uh, like this this year. He's had a lot of games like that. He's also had uh, some some really nice moments, like uh, when, when the Clippers honored him and everything he did at the All-Star game. And he's had some games when he's come in and uh, just made a bunch of shots. And I wouldn't say looked like the old Dirk, but made shots that are, that are unguardable. And, and that's what he was at his peak. So it's been a little bit of a weird season, not the season he was hoping for, but just day to day. I mean, his schedule is ridiculous. He spends so much time in the training room. He spends so much time getting treatment. He, he's still out there running sprints, certainly not as fast as other guys on the team, but but, but he's sweating uh, probably more than uh, anyone else on the team still. Everybody involved uh, in the Mavericks organization just raves about his work ethic, and, uh, work ethic, and that is something that really has never changed over the 21 years that he spent in the NBA. So, James, one of his impressive feats, most impressive feats, not by all of the career accolades, but the fact that he started and finished with the Dallas Mavericks because that's something you don't see nowadays. You know, we're talking about Dwayne Wade went off and tried somewhere else. LeBron James, you know, played multiple teams. The greats of our generation, Kevin Durant, any one of them, you could say they played on different organizations. Was Dirk ever close to leaving Dallas? I don't know if he's ever close, uh, but but one thing that Rick Carlisle told me uh, is that he refuses to take Dirk's loyalty for granted. He, he's this humble guy. He doesn't really have the aura of a superstar uh, off the court. He he just has really no ego off the court, even though on the court he turns into this killer that at his best was like, give me the ball and, and I want the ball in important moments. You just, you just don't see him off the court like that. And the point that Rick was trying to make was that because he has that attitude and that approach – 
he's an easy guy to take for granted uh, and to just sort of think, oh, yeah, he'll come back. And, and you might remember a couple of years ago uh, when he was a free agent, Rick Carlisle did his end-of-season press conference and was asked about Dirk, and he said, we're going to have to recruit him. Uh, we, we can't just assume that he's going to come back and just play out the rest of his career with this franchise just because he has spent his entire career thus far doing so. And Donnie Nelson, the general manager of the team who's been there uh, forever, he scouted Dirk overseas, coached him in the Hoop Summit uh, sort of coming out party. He made the point uh, to me that all of these championship teams over the past few years, all of these super teams have made Dirk offers. Superstars have called him in the offseason and tried to say, come finish your career with me. Come chase a ring, basically. And Dirk has turned all those guys down. And most of the time, you don't even hear about it. People don't even report on that stuff because Dirk doesn't talk about it. And Dirk doesn't even have an agent who would talk about it or use it for, for leverage or anything. His agent, his quote-unquote agent, is Holger, his mentor and trainer that he's had since before he was in the NBA. So uh, he has had certainly opportunities to leave. I'm not sure how close uh, it's ever been. But one of the points that everybody in the Mavericks organization uh, really wanted to make was that they truly do appreciate that Dirk has stayed with one team the whole time, even when they haven't necessarily been championship contenders uh, and even when he had other opportunities to go and maybe win more games. You just mentioned Holger. Holger is Dirk's everything. Like mm-hmm. he, he's his manager, his yeah. trainer, his whole night. I didn't even know that Holger spoke. I was there for a whole year with him. I don't know I've ever heard him say a word. He's just always standing there like glaring at, at what's going on. Um, you talked about Donnie coaching him in the Hoop Summit. Um, can you talk to us maybe a little bit about Big Don and, and Donnie pulling the trigger on Dirk with, with not a whole lot of resume behind him? I mean, this was him at the Hoop Summit like destroying – you know, high school kids here in, in America, but there wasn't a whole lot of sample size other than that. It was a big, it was a big swing for them on a European before Europeans really were taking the NBA by storm. Yeah, it, it was an extremely bold move. I mean, the team that he was playing for in Germany, which, which that, that was not a great league, uh, in Germany, and he was in the second division. So it's like the antithesis of Luka Doncic coming in to the Mavs this year, who's been starring overseas for a few years and dying to come over. Dirk was apprehensive. Uh, the Mavs sent a contingent over to Germany after drafting him to convince him to come to the NBA. He wasn't sure. Holger wasn't sure. Uh, there were times during his first season where he sort of wanted to go back home and he doubted himself. Uh, but but the Mavs really made made a big bet on him and took took that risk because they believed that was the best long term play. For the franchise, there weren't a lot of examples uh, of guys from Europe coming over and developing into franchise players, uh, all-stars, Hall of Famers, like like Dirk turned out to be. But they believed that he had the talent to do that. And one interesting thing uh, that, that complicated that even further was on draft night, they had Dirk and Paul Pierce in their top three. They made the trade to acquire the number nine pick where they selected Dirk, but they did not think Paul Pierce was going to slip to them. So they had to, in like a few minutes in the back, had to have this conversation Don Nelson, Donnie Nelson, some other members of the front office where they had to decide, do we take Paul Pierce, who we never thought would be here, who is a safer pick, who uh, if he doesn't work out, no one would blame us or say we should lose our jobs because of it, or take Dirk, who we believe has the higher upside, but we might not even be around here uh, when he reaches it. And honestly, when 
Mark Cuban bought the team, he had every right. He could have turned over the entire franchise. He could have fired the front office, fired the coaching staff, and instead uh, he believed in the personnel that was there, and he believed in Dirk, and he let everybody grow and see it through. And, and that is something that, that Donnie Nelson was extremely grateful for because that was no sure thing, and he described the entire situation as really frightening. <laughs> um, all right, so I got to play there. We went to the Western Conference Finals that year. We had Dirty, Dirk yeah. Nowitzki. We had Nasty, Steve Nash. We had Filthy, Michael Finley. <laughs> Right, you had Avery Johnson was the general. Walt Williams was Wiz. Nick Van Exel was yo quick. Right, and then my nickname. I want you to ask Dirk about this when you see him. Was bombed Bell, right? And it stems. Ask Dirk about this story. Ask him if he remembers the night I lost my Escalade after being out at Mikosina all night, and why they dubbed me Bomb Bell in, in Dallas. <laughs> I can't wait for that one. This should have been in the story. It should have been a story. Exactly. Didn't ask. I don't know. Exactly. All right. Well, make sure uh, everyone go check out the uh, the stories coming out on CBSSports.com. James, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Sounds like some really good stuff. Can't wait to check out the whole article. Thanks so much for having me, guys. All right, good stuff. So I'm guessing bombed Bell. Oh, my God. We, uh, <laughs> we were drinking something called, like, Mambo Taxis or Zombie Mambo. I don't know what they were, but I woke up in my hotel room and had lost my Escalade somewhere in. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you hadn't driven it, which is a good I thing. Know, I know. At least that's the, the best part know, of it. Is there a dude, because it seems to me, like when James is giving all these anecdotes and hear all these different guys talk about Dirk Nowitzki, like, is there anybody that doesn't like him? Like, is he one of the most universally liked players in the Probably. NBA? Probably. Because even, you know, we're talking about uh, LeBron, KD, Dwayne Wade. Like, there are always some guys that'll be like, eh, he was overrated. Or, you know, once he got big time, it just seems like everybody loves Dirk. No, Dirk is Dirk is cool. And I think the best part of Dirk is just he's so – he doesn't take himself seriously at all. He If, if he does, he doesn't let anyone know. He, he's one of the most self-deprecating people you'll meet. Um and that that's endearing to people, you know. And no matter how big he got, you know, or what team he was on, I was playing against him. We always shared a little a little laugh or something like that. I remember one time we're out there playing. This was probably in the playoffs, deep in the playoffs. And he's really stoic out there on the court. He'll talk a little bit, mm-hmm. but you never really get a, a great reaction from him. And he shoots his free throws with his knees like almost touching. And I said, said, said something like, damn, man, you look like a baby giraffe with them knock knees. And he actually, he giggled a little bit and missed the free throw, you know, but, but he was one of those guys that was always kind of cool with you and had a good time. And so I remember when Dirk, this was probably his third year in the NBA. Um, you know, we go out sometimes and, and, and Dirk would be just the, the, the biggest person in there. And, and you know, the life of the party, a lot of times those big guys are just kind of chill, more reserved, kind of, right. you know, Dirk just had this, He's got this uh this air about him. People like to be around him. He obviously, you know, has wanted to play as long as he can. Mm-hmm. He's played in the league twenty one years. He's forty. He's been he's spent more of half of his life in the NBA. It's gonna be interesting to see like how what does he do after? Sure. You know, and like does he stay coaching? Does he stay doing something part of the game? You really hope so. There you go, D and up your boy. Hey, up dirty right there. Yeah, I they used awesome. to they used to put me on Dirk. Uh, cause he was almost impossible to guard. So they figured if I just stay under his hips uh-huh. and by his feet when he jumped, um, that, that it would distract him. It, it, it didn't. Now, what did he try to do to try to back you down? Like here, yeah. like he's trying to back you down cause he's got a significant size advantage. So they were one of the, they like to get Dirk the ball in the middle. Cause you're not, of the court. just so people know, if you're right, you're not like 
extremely tall. Like no. you're, you're what six, six five? five? Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. he's average seven feet. Average for NBA. Right. Exactly. Players. Like but but an like forward. Yeah. He's like he's seven feet. Right. But so Dirk didn't live on the post. He he like of course, yeah, he post shoot. or he was one of the first seven footers that could really shoot. Right. So what they would do with Dirk is they would ISO me kind of in the middle of the floor around the top of the key area. He'd back me down to where he just wanted to shoot from, <laughs> and then he'd just kind of raise up and shoot it over the top of me. Fantastic. Okay. Thanks for putting me yeah, on. I appreciate coach. it. Okay. And I get no help. Thank you. Exactly. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate it, coach. All right. Welcome back to, uh, Kenel and Bell hanging out. Uh, good stuff, uh, right there from James. Really good stuff on dark. I'm yeah. looking forward to reading the whole article. You know what I love? I love when there are surveys taken mm-hmm. of current players. Cause I think it's the best way. Like you can, you can obviously speak as a former player, but there's a lot of, you know, opinion shows when guys are putting dudes on blast and you're like, well, the guy never played or he wasn't in the locker room. Right. There's no better pulse. Then to get current players, say, all right, what are they thinking? And because it's anonymous. So you're <laughs> yes, not, you're not risking exactly. your future unemployment or <laughs> exactly. rubbing anybody the wrong way. Exactly. So that's exactly what Sam Amick did uh, for The Athletic. He did an NBA survey, talked to 127 players. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty good group of guys and asked them various questions. One of the, one of the favorites always is who's overrated. Yeah. Cause you, and, but cause there's, and there's always going to be guys who are jealous. They're haters. Hey, this guy gets a lot of attention, gets the biggest shoe deals, gets the best, you know, uh, advertisements, all that stuff. Yep. So there's going to be a little bit of resentment there. But again, you said it. It's anonymous, so they can go there. Uh, the guys that received the most overrated votes, number one is a tie with 17% are Draymond Green. And Russell Westbrook. When I see Draymond, I'm like, it totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, he's on a championship team. He's a role player, but he's been able to kind of grow his profile from that. Totally understand it. With Russ, I'm like, this dude's making history with his third season averaging a triple, triple double. I, I don't, I don't understand it. Do you? Like, um, no, uh, because Draymond, the way I look at it is Draymond, as good as he is, and he's way better than I thought he was going to be. You're not going to take that to any team, no matter the, 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 the makeup of the team. Or how it's put together and he'll, him be able to do that. Do you understand? Yes. Like, I, I, my words are not coming <laughs> clearly today, but that's not dropping the hat. Every team he goes to, he has that kind of production. Russ can do that anywhere you take him, no matter the roster makeup or anything. He is going to fill a stat sheet up, uh, and do what he does. I guess what I would say to this is you might have pulled up some people and Russ has this effect where he might, you might not want to play with Russ. You know, not everyone wants to play with Russ. I wouldn't fall into that category necessarily, but other guys, guys who need the ball, they might look at that and say, mm, I don't know. I don't know if he's wanting to get off the ball. It didn't bother Paul George, right? But there are probably some guys that feel that way. And that's probably what you're seeing reflected in, in this, in this, uh, article. Cause what are you, what are you arguing with? You're arguing with him averaging three straight years of a triple double, right? Statistically, like, you, he's, he's delivered. He's yeah. delivered every single time. You said some guys don't want to play with him. Do some guys not want to play against him? Because that's one of the things I like about him. Right. As he has an edge. I think he plays really hard. Most nights he's on the court. And I don't know if that goes with every dude out there. Like, I I hate the buddy-buddy, like, let's dap it up at midcourt. Let's, you know, at halftime, timeouts. We're talking about where we're going later. I don't think Russ is like that. I think Russ, maybe after the game, he's cool. Right. But during the game, he's kind of got that that killer mentality, which is why I like him. Could be. Uh, guys hated to play against me, and I don't mean to put myself in the same category as Russell Westbrook as a player, but in terms of like a mindset, I played like that too, where I didn't want to be your friend. Right. I wasn't taking any play off, and yeah, that can rub people the wrong way. Guys in, in the NBA, I've played against guys, and I won't say any names, that you know, before every game, and we weren't great friends, would come up, 
and they'd want to be my best friend at the at the tip circle. Right. I'd be like, oh, this dude just wants he wants a night off. Take it that. easy. Or if the play wasn't called for them, they'd be like, no, nah, I'm, I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. This is going to because they don't want you in their ribs. They don't they don't want you hitting them unnecessarily when they know they're not getting the ball. Right. And if if Russ. Yeah, there could be something to that. Guys might not like that Russ is on a thousand all the time. Right. Because it absolutely happens in the NFL, mostly in preseason, not a lot in the regular season, uh, that I would hear is too much at stake. There's only 16 games. But in the preseason, you'll have a lot of startles, the starters, you know, an offensive lineman might talk to the defensive lineman that first series, be like, Hey man, hey young buck. Like, yeah. Hey, you know, like, <laughs> hey, we're not trying to get killed out here. We're all trying to get paid. Let's just take it easy a little bit. But I, I was curious to know in an 82 game schedule where there are some nights, maybe at a back to back and there's dudes coming up, oh, yes. like working out kind of deals with the other guy. Yes. Like, Hey man, those do happen. We're not working that out verbally but guys will try guys will try to see if there's an accord right you know they're going to try to test you and see if we got an understanding tonight i was never with that i couldn't i couldn't afford to have the understanding because right, if you had a bad game you might find yourself i was not a star a yeah correct I, right um i do think it's interesting i used to when i went to camp with san antonio there's a dude named Derek. Derek anderson he's a really good dude man he played at ohio state and he transferred and played at kentucky i think and he was already kind of an established vet and i was really hungry i had never made a team and I remember him just, he hated me in practice because I didn't know how to do like the first three days of training camp as a vet right. where you're chilling. We're just making it look good. We're all trying to get in shape. I was trying to get a paycheck and they absolutely hated me. And I kind of kept that. I don't know when it morphed for me, but then as I became the vet, I had a really bad wrist injury and I was playing against, um, what's the kid's name, Gerald Henderson and Gerald wanted my spot. He would just come out of Duke and he actually knew the injury that I had Ooh. because he had had it before. So he would take, and Larry Brown, Larry Brown got on me for this because I got angry at Gerald. He would be smacking the hell out of my wrist in practice. And I'm like, Larry, he's doing it on purpose, man. Like, right. and I'm, but I couldn't really beef. You know, I got angry about it, but I was like, he's a young fella. Like I was that young fella. I'm now Derek Anderson in the equation. Like get your mind together, right? If you want to play, you're going to have to tape that up and, and keep it moving. You know, you know how on TV during training camp or spring practice, when you see teams scrimmaging against each other and you'll see fights breaking out mm -hmm. all the time, I would say almost 100% of those fights are over a dude who's going harder than anybody else wants him to go. Yeah. It's that guy trying to be a hero in yeah, practice, yeah. and he's trying to make the team, and he's going against a vet who doesn't want to have it. Right. And it usually, usually, it, it kind of starts when the guy's like, maybe he's not that good because he wasn't drafted, and the vet will like send a message, yeah, like, all right, you want to go full? We're gonna go full for one play, and then it's not the play. Then it's I'm gonna take you down, and I'm gonna rip <laughs> off your helmet, and I'm gonna start smacking you so you don't do it again. That's like great. that's usually the way everything happens uh, out there. Uh, when also in this poll, you had uh, the MVP conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, when you surveyed the MVP, 122 votes. This was a little bit shocking. Most people agree it's between James Harden and Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think the majority of the media and fans would probably say Giannis is going to win it. The players' result, 44% of those 122 votes went to James Harden, while only 38% went to Giannis. Player and then there's a pretty good separation between Paul George and Joel Embiid. But it's a two-man race, but the players voted uh, James Harden as the MVP. Uh, there are a couple things that stick out to me. The Paul George getting 12 Twelve and a half percent, roughly, also supports the whole Westbrook getting seventeen percent of the overrated yeah. conversation, right? Yeah. I think that's guys. That's probably a little bit of hate there, even though Paul George is having a fantastic season. Um, players know how hard it is to do what James Harden did when he had that string of thirty point games, right? I don't know what the number wound up being. 
I don't know that the average fan understands what it what it what it means to score that many points that many games in a row. Uh, and I, I think you'd see that. I have no problem with people saying James Harden is the MVP. I've got no problem at all with that. Um, he's averaging thirty six points crazy. a game. He kept thirty six. Is dude, insane. He kept a team afloat with with no roster. I mean, it was him. It was PJ Tucker, and I, I don't know who else was. Uh, they got. They got Austin Rivers off the scrap heap. They signed Kenneth Fareed. And you, you had no Clint Capella. You had no, you had no Chris Paul. And he kept them afloat by willing his, his, his way to 30 some points, 40 some points, uh, every night. So players understand what that takes. Giannis for me, because those Bucks have been number one, pretty much wire to wire. Uh, and he came out of the gates ready to go. Uh, James didn't stumble out necessarily, but you know, it felt like he kind of built up momentum. I'm just going with Giannis. Uh, I wonder too, is there, do you think there's any part of it that's sort of an age thing where Giannis is younger, like he's got to prove it a little bit longer and James is a little bit more of a vet and he's been doing it and it was that impressive or do you think it's just players are saying that's, they're more appreciative of what James did? I think it's the, I think they're more appreciative probably because I, I don't think anybody would look at Giannis as a young buck anymore. Right. I think he's fully, he's a star. Right. You know? Uh, for sure. Absolutely. I'll be curious to know. I was going to have one of these guys, maybe Debo can look it up for me of a, like when the last time, cause I'm trying to think like, has anybody sniffed 36 for an entire season? I don't know. In a while? Cause usually around 29 or 30. And he's buckets. blowing it out of the, the water. It's a lot of buckets. I thought it was really interesting. And this is a healthy respect for Giannis in case anybody thinks that the players are disrespecting him. Mm-hmm. There was another question posed that if you're building a roster, which I think is a totally separate conversation, who are you signing first to build around? That one, Giannis won with 36% of the vote. Anthony Davis second with 10%. So that to me is a healthy respect sure. for Giannis just saying, all right, this dude's special. Maybe we edge towards James Harden for the MVP, but Giannis is who you want to build around. Do you, you know what would be, I mean, it's scary to think of, but when this kid gets a jumper, when he feels confident enough to pull a KD, which is full speed in transition, I'm just going to pull up and shoot a three. And he's comfortable with that, and he's making them at a, I don't know, 35% clip. It doesn't even have to be approaching 40. When he can do that with what he already can do, you are talking about virtually unstoppable. Yeah. I don't know what you would do to guard him at that point. <laughs> right, and he's definitely uh, developing some of those skills. Uh And I want to switch over to baseball, switch gears to baseball, because we had a new Major League Baseball record mm-hmm. take place last night. I don't know if you're aware of it. I said uh, yesterday, I sent a text to our group text, and I said, we need to talk about Chris Davis, who uh, plays for the Royals, baseball player. It's sad to it, me. It is sad, but see, here's the thing. I don't think any fan feels bad for him. Because of the money. He's still a human being. I agree. I agree. But for those who don't know, he has a new Major League Baseball streak of hitless streaks. 49 at-bats. He's 0 for 49. It actually dates back to the end of last season. where And this uh, last night he went 0 for 4. And he passed Eugenio Velez, who had 46 uh, at-bats without a hit for the longest hitless streak in Major League Baseball by a position player before that. The reason people aren't that sympathetic is because... Of the money, uh, he's he'll make sixty-eight through, uh, million through twenty twenty-two, another forty-two million from twenty twenty-three uh, to twenty thirty-seven. He's made a boatload of money, yeah. the Orioles, but that still doesn't. He's still a human being, and he, I think he's handled it really well. Like he talks to the media, he says, "I'm trying as hard as anybody." They ask him about being booed because the right. Orioles fans, even his own fan base, are giving him more oh. than anything. He's like, "I'm trying. I'm doing my best." Right. Where you do have some sympathy for this dude, and I now. It has got to be a hundred percent mental. Yeah. Because the guy's a good baseball player. He right. just then it, at what point, like if you're over twenty five, over thirty, it starts kind of a mental thing, and then you're trying to press, and that's how you end up with forty nine straight bats without a hit. I do not know what he's doing in terms of hit. Right. You know, right. I haven't routine, broken down his swing. Like yeah. Um 
Luckily, I didn't have a, 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 a streak like this. I would go through my slumps. Um, and the more I found, and this is kind of a little counterintuitive, but I'd get in a slump um, and I'd start focusing on, you know, the details of my shot, trying to figure it out, go back, watch some film, technically see what I could address, spend some days doing that. This would be like a script. Never worked. I don't know why I didn't just figure this out and stop doing all the prep, but I would do this for like three or four days. Never get my shot better. Probably make it worse. Just start pressing now, worrying about my release more, worrying about whether my elbow was tucked in. And then I get to a point where I was like, screw it. I'm not even worrying about it. I'm not spending any extra time shooting. I'm not spending any extra time in the gym. I'm just going home. I'm going to let go of all of this stuff. I'm going to show up at the gym and just play. And I would pop out of the damn the, the slump. You know? And so to some degree... No, I don't know how deep he is down this rabbit hole mentally, but my, my suggestion would be, bro, just don't even worry about it. Let it go. Right. Show up and just take some swings, take some cuts at the ball. Don't think about what kind of pitch is coming or, you know, try to read the pitcher. Just go ahead and take some cuts at it, man. I gave you the back end of his money. 161 was the total value of the deal. $161 million. To your point, I'm sure he's tried extra, uh, extra batting practice in the cages before practice, all those things. I wonder, Cause if I was, if I was looking for confidence, mm-hmm. cause you don't really have those types of streaks in the NFL, I would say, or I would think, let me get a good, let me get an easy pass. Right. Let me get a screen, something just to yeah. see the get ball that caught by somebody. Yeah. yeah. Shooter, get it. Baseball, you're kind of on an island. That's why I was curious, and he hasn't, but I wonder if he's ever tried to bunt for a base hit. Yeah. If he's ever tried to just slap one, like choke up and just get it on. Right. And I don't think he has, but at some point I would have said, man, I'm going to change my approach. Like almost, cause when you do batting practice, you'll do hit and runs where you're swinging at anything. You're just putting contact on it, get in play. Right. I would have that type of swing. Sure. You want a hit and run swing, even if there's nobody on base. I just want to make contact with this pitch. Just feel that bad hit the ball. That much of a funk or he cannot get it done. So why I felt bad for him. It's a lot of money. Um, is there a more lonely place to be, to be just not able to perform your job than in the batter's box? Like I was trying to think the free throw line is a yeah, very lonely line place. For sure. Absolutely. Um, maybe over a putt or on the tee box. Like if you get the real shanks or something. Yep. But I mean, I don't know. Like that batter's box, that's it's a rough one. If the dude's throwing 90, that yeah. the movement on it. That's tough. Uh, man. It's definitely tough uh, for him. So we'll have to keep an eye on him if he breaks that streak or how long it keeps going. And you wonder, like with his type of money, he's obviously not going to get set down. But I wonder if at some point the Orioles are like, let's send him down just to get him out of the spotlight, catch his breath. But that's, you talking about embarrassment? When that happens, it's over. Exactly. When you send him down, it, it, if you think he's, de- he's in a dark place now, yep. not many guys come back from that one, I don't think. All right. Welcome back to Canel. We have the Masters. We're going to be all over it. Raja and I will be watching it probably live. The show might be a little bit distracting, but oh, you know, you just said Canel, right? I said what? You said welcome back to Canel. Canel and Bell. No, My bad. That's I'm not trying to say anything, <laughs> I promise. Uh, but if you want to watch the Masters, you can actually get direct streaming access on your phone or computer to live coverage all day for each round of the Masters. We got four different streams. You can choose between whether you want the feature groups of the day, Amen Corner, or Holes 15 and 16. You're watching Tiger's group for sure, right? Like that's, that's the group you're watching. And it's even got the practice range. You'll even be watching Tiger on the practice range. Uh, if you want to see the pros warm up, the best part about it's entirely free. Just download the CBS Sports app on your phone or visit cbssports.com slash masters first cut. Be sure to tune in to watch Kyle Porter on CBS Sports HQ, our free 24 hour sports news network where he'll be reporting live from Augusta National all week long. Uh, you get to go be a patron. I do. I'm going to be a pat- patron. I'm going to be wearing a patron's badge. Yes. That's a call. And it was like the call of the bullpen. We yeah. Got spot, I'm up. We got a ticket. I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Although I'm starting to worry about the travel because we're flying to Augusta or flying to Atlanta, mm-hmm. not Augusta. And I thought it was about a 90 minute drive. I, I lived in Atlanta, drove to Augusta. I didn't remember it being that long. Yep. A little over it, two hours. Our service be homes. Like a, 
Yeah, I think that's what we're going to need. Our to service. Do. I was thinking private jet. Or that. <laughs> we'll have to see if, uh, let's talk to some of our higher ups here at, uh, CBS. I doubt we're going to be able to make that happen. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, his reputation, I thought took a really severe blow mm-hmm. by this article that was written by a bleacher report, uh, the, uh, over the past week. And it came out. And the thing that I appreciated about the article, a lot of times when you see some of these hit pieces or when you're taking shots at dudes, it's all anonymous. Mm-hmm. This one was different. There were a couple players, Greg Jennings and Jermichael Finley, probably the two most prominent players that took shots at Aaron Rodgers were named. They put names to their quotes. Uh, and then as well, you had some anonymous sources. And I, the reason I don't think it was a hit piece is because it didn't exact, it detect both Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. It didn't take sides. It basically said this organization was a mess. Right. Like as a franchise, I was curious to see what Aaron Rodgers would do. Would he wait? Would he acknowledge it? Would he just blow it off? He's on the offensive. So Aaron Rodgers went on, uh, the radio, sh- uh, radio show in Milwaukee with former Packer, uh, former Packers tackle Mark Tauscher and radio host Jason Wild and basically went off. I actually heard some audio clips of it. He was, cause Aaron's usually pretty flippant. He's Mr. Cool. He was animated. Yeah. And he was on the offense going after people that had slammed him under the bus. His quote, the thing is about the article, it's, it's not a mystery. This was a smear attack by a writer looking to advance his career, talking with mostly irrelevant, bitter players mm. who all have an agenda, whether they're advancing their own careers or just trying to stir up old stuff. What happens is the same tired media folks, that's me and you, <laughs> pick it up and talk about it. Just this just emphasized their opinion about me already. So it's the crazy thing is there's super slanted opinions in that piece stated as facts. And then there's quote unquote facts. Which are just outright lies. Yeah, um, I don't really know what's true. I have no problem with Aaron Rodgers coming out and defending himself. If he, I mean, he was there. He knows if that stuff is is factual or not. I do know that with enough of a sample size and enough people saying that he can be difficult at times to work with, that that's probably the case. And the new head coach there is going to have a difficult task. Not yes. not that it can't work with Aaron Rodgers, but I think, you know, Aaron even alludes to it in some more of the statements that that he he wants a certain level of trust from his coach and a certain level of latitude with you know to do what he wants to do. And not every coach works well with that type of personality. So, you know, I know all that to be true. The rest of it, I mean, I don't know. I would say to the two guys that he called out cuz Aaron Rodgers called out Greg Jennings and he called out Jermichael Finley. Jermichael Finley has been a guy Maybe it came down to stats. Maybe it came down to the way his career, like, just didn't. He, he, I think, is unfair with Aaron Rodgers. Takes a lot of pot shots at him. Right. Greg Jennings, on the other hand, is a broadcaster. I've worked with him. I think he's a classy dude. Mm-hmm. I think he, I think he's asked to comment on Aaron Rodgers, and I always think he's pretty diplomatic about it. I don't think he takes pot shots. I don't think he does it to be hot take artist. I think he's just honest about right. the situation, which you don't get a lot. Like a lot of guys protect Aaron Rodgers. They say, well, I'm not going to be, that's one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. I'm right. not going to burn that bridge. I think Greg Jennings is, is a good broadcaster. You know, I, he even, you know, I talked to him at the Super Bowl and he said, Hey, Aaron has his guys. If you talk to his guys, they'll rave about him. If you're not one of his guys, maybe it was a little bit tough to play right. with him. So like, it's always been fair. The criticism that's been there. I do think Aaron Rodgers is realizing what people really think of him and he's trying to do some damage control. Cause as much as he says about Mike McCarthy, I still don't think they liked each other. Right. Yeah. I don't, but, I don't like it, but I think there is some serious dysfunction there. And I think Aaron's trying to walk back some of the things that he did that probably were over the line and that he regrets. And he's trying to kind of 
smooth that over and not make himself look as bad. Yeah, well, is there any time, if you're Greg Jennings, is there a time when you just stop? Even if you're just telling the truth, that you're like, hey, man, let's let sleeping dogs lie. Like, you don't want to just Probably keep... at some point, you know, right? because soon. But he still plays. It was still an integral part of the season because he was fired during the season. You know, right. like uh, Mike McCarthy was. So Right, right, right. Well, it's probably not the end we're going to hear about this story. Sometimes just embrace who you are. If you're Aaron Rodgers, yeah. like, I'm not apologizing for it. I am who I am. And and the way you make it go to bed is watch what I do with this new guy. Yeah. We're going to be great. Exactly. So we'll have to see. I'm sure there will be more to come from this story and a bunch of other stuff. We're going to cover it all right here at Canel and Bell, as always.